I'm not into podcasts. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. What a hit! Back of the net. Hello. Welcome to the Not A Pundit podcast. I am Not A Pundit Killian Ginnity, and I'm delighted to be joined, as always, by Not A Pundit Conan Glennon. How are we doing, boys? And man in hiding after the weekend results, Robbie Redmond. <laughs> hey, Killian, how are you? I'm uh, probably better than you you were uh, at this weekend. Sunderland had a good result, so I'm always happy. Um, we've had some fantastic revelations uh, at, at Wearside. Um, but, Connor... I think you, the Northeast has a, a has a a team on top. I'd rather not admit, but yeah. Yeah, I think we've we we've finally established ourselves as as the number one in the north. Um, after a, a hard fought run, um, we're straight off. The, don't need, I don't only call selling yourself. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, we are we are fairly woeful for that. Um, the off the back of the Champions League, we just straight off watching it there. It's it was a. Mildly emotional, actually, hearing the Champions League music coming on, the hairs of the back of the neck going up. Um, it's you know, I think not to dwell on the on the fixture too much. You know, we've we've uh, Manchester United to absolutely dismantle. Um, but I think nil all at San Siro, you'll take that any day. Um, I think as a whole, the players got were looked nervous from from the get go. I think you know you saw them in the tunnel, kind of looking around, looking left and right, going, "Holy shit, that's Giroud!" and that kind of thing, and Jacob Murphy, when the Champions League music came on, just burst out into a big smile. I think he was going to cry, and you see what it means to them. And it's it's one of those things that it's 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 absolutely lovely to see when it's not your team. <laughs> you you kind of want your guys to be stood up there, going, "Okay, right, we're we're solid here. We can take on any man." Um, I think the major takeout for me was just Trippier. He was pl- uh, absolute player of the match for Newcastle. He, he he ran the show for us, and I think it just shows having European experience. And before we move on, I think um, T's and P's are with Eddie McKay, the the Newcastle fan who who got assaulted over there last night. Apparently, from from what everyone's saying, he's he's in a stable condition. What that means, who knows? But it's it's a part of the game that we're seeing a lot with European fixtures, and we hope not to see again. I think we're we're all in 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 agreement on on that one as a football community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with uh, obviously getting into Europe now, Connor. Do you think that how is the man to lead you forward, or do you think he is going to very very soon reach a ceiling that? Uh, he, he may need a bigger name. I, I, I think it's too early to say. I think we played well today. I think I, I like the passion he was showing today in, 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 in terms of on the sideline. Him and him and his best friend Jason Tyndall were really running the show. Um, and Tyndall was walking all over that pitch. He didn't mind where that technical box ended. But uh, look, yeah, I think it, it's going to be one of those that I, I, I think the job he's done, he deserves the right to have a few mistakes. Um, obviously, it's the highest level of football and there's not a lot of mis- area to make mistakes but I think no one's under no illusion that we're not getting out of this group so I don't think you should be judged on that I think it, let's just focus on if we get into the Champions League next year how we perform next year we'll go from there and speaking of mistakes Robbie United how, how did you get on the weekend <laughs> got on exactly how I predicted Killian, which was Brighton um, basically making a show of Man United so yeah they fully deserved to win it Brighton were absolutely brilliant and like it really kind of exposed every level of Man United that, that they've got wrong over the last couple of years or last 10 or even longer years. So 
like there's so much to even get into here like that like say Man United lose and lose 3-1 they're comfortably beaten by a team who I think will be probably top four this season Brighton are absolutely brilliant do you brilliant. think they'll push into the top but four I Gary Nett oh on, on this form like yeah like they can beat anyone like I, who, who we're going to talk about United before we get into Brighton but who, who what team could you feel that would actually comfortably beat them or I just I know West Ham beat them playing kind of Brexit ball, but I just think they're capable of being any side and it's just incredible. I think Deserby is probably at the moment the best coach in the world. Like I, I can't see anyone as innovative or like doing as well as this guy at the moment. So that's another issue. You have to kind of go with Brighton deserve it. But I remember then looking after Gary Neville's like, the Glazers are responsible. Like this is how it works, like ten years of mediocrity. I'm like, mate. <clears throat> Everyone knows the Glazers have been absolutely terrible. Like, they've ruined the club. They What they've done should never have been allowed to stand. They've let the club go into nearly disrepair. But we just need to kind of bring this back and talk about the football here just for a second. So, like, Brighton completed, like, 614 passes against United, which is the most for an opposition team since Liverpool beat United 5-0 in October 21 when the wheels were coming off for... Um, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. So you just really saw, I think every level of United was exposed. Like recruitment, Brighton squad cost 17 million. Man United squad cost 347 million pounds. Bonkers. Like, that's frightening. Like, that. That's insane. Like that is absolutely insane. Like, there's Danny Welbeck. I'm like, Danny Welbeck, my, Van Hal let him go. Like, like he was a good player. Like Ferguson loved him. He was very tactically flexible. Like I remember... Ferguson's last season, um, Rooney was getting dropped for big games ahead of Welbeck. Welbeck and Van Persie might often start because Ferguson absolutely loved the guy. And I'm not saying they were necessarily wrong to let him go, but it just shows that if you're a clever club, you can get so much more out of these players. Or Adam Lallana, like a great piece of skill. But it was just, it was staggering. And the one thing that really should probably worry my United fans watching it is Van, uh, Ten Hag was exposed, I think. So... Like, I think Deserby, as I said, he, he's capable of beating any coach. He, he's outwitting all these guys. First 20 minutes, Man United played like a diamond formation and Brighton looked a bit flustered. Brighton figured it out. Yeah, they abused that. They absolutely abused those wings. They saw that They saw that diamond. They were oh like, oh, God. the middle's boxed <laughs> off. It's closed. Let's just hit the channels yeah. and absolutely rinse yeah. them. Yeah, and they do this thing where they like Brighton like suck teams onto them and they want you to press them because they pass it around you. But my United's pressing was just disgraceful. I can go show you guys a little clip of like a five minute period where it looked like lads playing five side, like just not even bothered. Like it looked like the craggy island. Looked like craggy islands <laughs> over eighties league. Like craggy the little steps of kind of like half jog walking. Oh my God. Like Rashford should be ashamed of himself. Like Ra- like Rashford, I actually wrote a piece in a couple of years ago about how bad he is pressing. Like I think he's pressing statistics were on on even at this point in the season with Pogba and Ronaldo. <laughs> like, not exactly renowned for their their industrious performances. Like, this is the level, this is a guy who's in the prime of his career, like, and he can't bother chasing anyone down. And then you have the opposite of that. You have Bruno Fernandes, headless chicken, sprinting around nonstop and running out of position. He doesn't even have a position. He has the Bruno position. So, <laughs> I just look, it just looked like Ten Hag had really, was exposed and, like what you might United need and what Alex Ferguson proved and what the intervening years have proved is that Man United is a mess as a club, as an institution. Their recruitment is terrible. They're, you can't even do back, can't even do Google searches on their players that they're signing. 
they really need a genius level manager to cover over the cracks as long as the Glazers or another kind of absentee owners are in charge. Alex Ferguson was that manager. Mourinho wasn't. I don't think Ten Hag is because I, I really think the Zerbi made him look like a level below the level he's on, which is, in fairness, it's, it's a, a pretty high, high level. bar, but it's still but, it's, it's, it's <laughs> unachievable for Ten Hag. And I saw a quote after the yeah. game, and honest to God, it made me go, and not to f- flog the Stephen Kenny horse anymore, but when you hear this quote, tell me oh. it doesn't sound like it's coming from Stephen Kenny. The first 20 minutes were very good. I think we had chances in the first half. I think we played very well, but we didn't score. We didn't finish. That's Stephen Kenny. That is. That's the accentuate the positives. That's that's Stephen Kenny, definitely. He's only All he's missing is talking about the fans, <laughs> many fans that were there. So, yeah, it, re, it, it was pretty grim, but also expecting, like, like I sat down to watch that, and it was a really enjoyable match. I say that because as a Man United fan, maybe I'm a bad supporter, <laughs> but I really enjoyed watching it because Brighton was so good. But I, I was not surprised at all. Um, like, Casemiro looks off it. Like, Hoyland looks decent, I have to say. He, he does look like a half-decent player. He has potential there. And then the other thing that kind of struck me about before is, like, Man United are so bad. They're so bad that they actually, their squad has improved now, in a way. Not their squad. They're, like, they scored that goal with that, the lad Hannibal, like, come on. Young lad on the periphery of the squad. Great goal. He even celebrated it, so it meant a lot, even though you're losing. <laughs> like, you're meant to get the ball and start again, but we're cutting the slack because he's only a kid. He celebrates, and you're like, he wouldn't be on the pitch if Anthony and Sancho were there. And that's how bad my, you know, you are at the moment, that, like, by subtracting people, by subtracting these underperforming, for want of a better term, footballers, their team is improved. Like, this is how, they, honest to God, they are just a mess. Like, and... They, I cannot see anything beyond top eight. I think it could be one, another one of those Louis van Gaal last season or Mourinho last season. Or I'm not saying Ten Hag could be sacked, but just it, it doesn't look like it's going to work out. And Liverpool are doing really well. Newcastle will improve. Brighton are just look unstoppable. Like they look absolutely unbelievable. Man City or Man City and Arsenal will be there or thereabouts. But Man United, they're, they're going to be drifting. They're going to be drifting for a while. Yeah, like kill what? And I'm looking at the squad. Okay, yeah. Sorry. I was just going to yeah. say Connor, the the problems though. This is one for both of you. It's like, do you think it's all Ten Hag's fault? Because like, it's a rough one on him. He's got a club that's arguably up for sale, but not up for sale. He's got two players being one was investigated and settled outside of court. One's investigated at the moment. You know, you've got an injury list you've got the Harry Maguire situation to deal with it's not an easy gig but do you think it's just it doesn't matter he could be it could be Deserby could come in and he'd Deserby would find a way to work it you know I have a lot of thoughts on this so I'm not I don't buy Neville's argument of it's all Glazers yes they've done things wrong but the one thing you can't say is that they've always invested like they've invested badly they spent money they haven't invested yet yeah, like they've spent they, they, a lot of money. That money in, they spent a yeah. lot of money on players. They spent a lot of money on managers. They spent a lot of money on people above that, and they've chosen the wrong ones every time. It's like it, it is fantastically terrible, like how they've done it. it like I, I thought Ranić coming in was going to be the change. I actually, to be honest, at the time I thought it was like new ownership is coming in and telling them, listen, it's going to take six months to get this deal done. This is our guy. We're going to put in our new I system. think Rob's eyes cool. just exploded I, when you said Ralph Ragnick. Yeah. Ragnick summed up the, 
my, I don't think any of the individual in the last couple of years have summed up the mess that Man United have been. They hired a director of football to be a coach and then dismissed his a chance, dismissed him before he could make him director of football. They st- and they, he, like, he well, came he in and said, I want, like, <laughs> strikers wise, he said he wanted one of Julian Lu- Alvarez, Julian Alvarez, Luis Diaz, and Flahovic. And like, all of them were yeah. shot down, you know? Instead, they signed Hoyland, who was also represented by Ten Hag's agent, because my and I have no recruitment network, seemingly, or it's been ignored. Because they've never hired a director of football. Because when they hired a director of football, they asked them to coach the team. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like, it's actually staggering. The, oh my god, the mess. Like, but this and is the, the Glazers are like the culture. It comes from them. Sorry, kidding. Like they, they haven't put money in. They've let it go to disrepair the stadiums and bits. Like it's leaking, infested by. I was mice. about to say there's rats like, knocking it's, around it's there. In like. bits. Yeah, and we're not like, talking about Anthony like, here. <laughs> <laughs> Like they've no, let they've let the club few. go to rack and ruin, but the squad has been yeah. invested in. But they would keep doing is putting the wrong people in charge, and I think Ten Hag like, is yet yeah. another wrong person in charge. And his well, lack of control over that dressing room, people are saying, "Oh no, it's him being the strong man, telling these players where to go." They had four players at each other's throats after losing to Brighton. I think that's the only positive like, of yeah. that game, and I know this sounds mental. Me, I, agree, I think yeah. no, no, you know, no, no. If you have that kind of heart show that in, to the fans not behind closed doors where you can get a little story out by leaking it to your agent well, we, know that on the no, yeah, we know it was Bruno, Bruno he was took McTominay on it's the wrong guy to pick in that dressing room then Martinez gets involved and you're like Jesus this is getting spicy but like jokes aside I genuinely think that shows they do care you know I'm yeah I'm actually I'm, I personally never saw the Ten Hag thing not that like I remember writing a piece at the time saying yeah like if you're going to sign Eric Ten Hag, he has proven to be a very good coach, capable coach, but you can't just take him. Like Ajax is a, he doesn't sign the players for Ajax. Like Edwin van der Sar and Mark Overmars were doing that. He coached the team. So he needs people behind him to do that. He needs a director of football and a CEO who's football minded or at least knows the business. He's not a marketed person like a lot of people United have had. But instead, you just grabbed him and brought Ten Hag over. Nothing else. There's no director of football. They have a football director, John Morta, but like, what has he done? Um, it's Ten Hag signing the players. So it's utterly pointless. Whereas someone like Pochettino, who doesn't really work with directors of football and has been in the Premier League. And that's the other thing with Ten Hag. He's coming from a, a lower league, like the Dutch league, where someone like Anthony <coughs> excuse me, can look like a superstar. But when it comes to the Premier League, it's the physical step up, the intensity. It just doesn't translate. So the jury's massively out on him, even though I do agree with his Sancho stance. I think both of them have been left out by the club, hung out by the club to dry, because the club should have known this was an issue for a while. Like There's been talk of Sancho's attitude for a good while now that he turns up late, he, had, he throws straps here and there, like my United, and he's an asset to my United. Like he's one of the few players you go, oh, we could sell him, and we won't get all our money back, but we'll get some of it back. And he's never really been, he's never delivered, he's never been good enough. I don't think he's good enough. So sell him in the summer, but they wait till the window closes, and then they can't. My United as a club can't even broker a truce between these two parties to go. Listen, you don't like each other, but just. Go back to training, Sancho, Ten Hag, let him back, and we'll find, find him a way out. Both parties happy, get rid yeah. of him. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a <laughs> way back? Don't. 
No. Uh, not, no, he's not good enough. That's the thing. If he's in the squad now and showing up on time, let's say he's bringing Ten Hag an apple every day and <laughs> saying yes, sir, no, sir, and like it won't make a difference. He's not good enough, like, and he hasn't been good enough, and he he's not on that level. But it does it's irrelevant. But uh, he's an asset, he, and Man United like they don't know how to sell players either. I think Dan James is the only player they've bought and then sold for profit in the, since Ferguson left. That's insane. Like, that's insane. Like that's that is there. Well, some of they don't actually they don't function like a football club. Like if you like say you just stop thinking of them as my as my United football club, the Busby Babes. They won all these things. Just think of them as like this property that's been left to go into disrepair by an absentee landlord. And you're like, oh, all right, this makes sense. Like they're just they don't care. They're sitting in Florida. The, the Glaciers. They'll take their dividends. And like yeah, we might have a season or two out of Champions League, but. The effort for the Glaciers to actually try to put shape on the club, like the way FSG and other not popular Liverpool have done, it's just they won't do it. And and it's not, it's that's why I don't like Neville jumping instantly to the Glaciers. It's too much. We need to focus on the football. But ultimately, it won't I, I do think, to some respect, from Neville's point of view, and Kill, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this one, is it does drip down from the top. Like, those issues of sales and all of these decisions, like, yeah, like, the the director of footballs that have been chosen, that's a Glazer decision. The personnel, at the end of the day, if the Glazers wanted it to be their decision, they could make it their decision, or at least at board level. So I think there is some merit to it, but I, I don't know if, if, if you're on the same thinking, Kill. I think that they don't care about player sales. The only thing that they're worried about is the net value of the club, which they have got to an all-time high by... It was the reason why... Um, uh, what was his face that was there for years? Um, the former... Edward Woodward. Edward Woodward. It's the reason why he was there for so long. is because he found a way of monetizing everything. Because why does Man United have a tractor partner? Why do they have an official FFP sunscreen? Why has do they to have... be. Yeah. No, like, it's... And... it's it's marketing. It's what gives the club its ridiculous value. And fair play for breaking new ground in the sport to do it. But, like, I think the whole situation, not to just always bring it back to my club, but, like, it really reminds me of Sunderland when we went down. Because we had an absentee American owner. We had a core of players that was after outlasting multiple managers that stopped caring because they know they're going to outlast this one as well. <laughs> And they have all these players around them that just aren't good enough, but have been paid over the odds. Now, the That's only it, thing yeah. with United is they're not going to get rele- relegated and they're not going to get that kind of leg break moment where you have to fix it. But, Rob, is there a way of fixing this? What I think is probably a rotten core with the squad. I really don't know. Cause I think all, like, well, you look at mine, um, the Glaciers have been, or the Glaciers, or the people they've appointed have been effective and monet- my United were always kind of monetized. They were the industry leaders. I remember there's a documentary on like Barcelona in 2003 and they were like, Manchester United are like the, the shining star. We have to copy them. They monetize everything. Look what they've done. So United were doing that before the Glazers came along, but they've definitely ramped it up. The issue isn't that, it's how they then spend it. <laughs> they don't know really how to spend it or how to use it. So that's why it leaks into the club and the players and the manager. So they'll go and sign Jaden Sancho and report £350,000 a week. Now, what has he done to warrant that? Not a lot. And then he now he's sticking around. And then it ultimately becomes easier to change the manager and hope that that's what will turn things around and actually change the whole culture. The culture just seems 
it just seems rotten, really. And that's why I'm kind of, I don't know, Ten, I don't think Ten Hag is, let's say he's a Europa League manager and we're talking about Champions League here. I don't know if he's the answer, but I do like that he is at least attempting to put some shape on it. But it could be a losing battle. What he's doing with Sancho, though, I, just well, like, that, th- th- I understand he's saying I was brought in to create a culture yeah. of no excuses and, and, and all of that. But like, player power is a real thing in today's market and yeah. you know what ferguson could do back in the day where you said one word wrong or you bought a motorbike when it was excluded in your contract you're yeah. gone you know like and no every all the team were like yeah you broke the contract now it's like players like you said they're like look mate we're most of us will be here when you're gone so you know jog on that's it and that's where you have that's why recruitment is so important and we go back here to brighton again like i was reading an interview with the but not the Brighton CEO, the guy, um, the gambler guy, I'm trying to remember his name. Another guy is his chairman and he was saying that Liam Brady is his neighbour in Brighton because Liam Brady managed Brighton in the early 90s and he, this guy spoke to him about Evan Ferguson and asked him about Evan Ferguson because Liam Brady played football for St. Kevin's boys in Dublin with um, Evan Ferguson's granddad. But like, think of that there. There's a, um, more research done on Evan already Ferguson. Already, yeah. 15, yeah, 16 year old Irish lad who, they're 10 a penny at that stage, who's coming over, it's not going to cost them much. They done more research than that. Like, my United signed, signed Marcus Rojo in 2014 and didn't realise he had an assault charge against them. And this like, is a common thing at this that, point. That's like... That's what we're dealing know, like with. It, it's... it's <laughs> Like, I don't even know if they're even doing, not character references, but, like, in football, it's always someone, even even a Google search. Like, the way it works in football is it's usually, has someone in the club played from already? Go talk to him. If they haven't, find someone who has. Find his youth coach, find the teams he left in a short period of time and find out who he is. But I, 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 this is one thing that I've been thinking during the week, and it may make me sound absolutely like a lunatic. Did Ferguson's tenure, albeit the most successful period the club has ever had, did it screw them long term? Because every other club is used to having six years of a manager find a new one, five years of a manager find a new one, not however long Ferguson was there. Like I think it put them into a place where they were arguably the biggest club in the world, probably still are in that top three discussion, at least in IP, but like I think it put them into a comfort zone that they cannot get out of. I think it's, it's more that they they failed to prepare. Like, Arsenal was in the same boat. Longevity. Um, I think it was Ferguson's ego that held them back at the end because he never really liked to say when he was actually actually going to retire. It was always that, oh, I might retire this year and I might retire this year. And then eventually he happened. It was like, oh, fuck, okay, he's actually going to do it this time. Whereas if you look at, like, Wenger, he said he's going to go, he went. They had a transition Force. period. Of course, yeah, he got yeah, pushed. But, yeah. yeah, but... But still, like they had a transition period of two and a half years and they're back on track. Like, Robbie, you, in your wet dreams, you couldn't ha- hope for that anymore. <laughs> no, well, I do I think you a great point there, Connor. And a lot of United fans, older generation, like, if you, I think maybe even Roy Keane is probably more popular because people forget, not, not everyone forgets, but the reason why the Glazers were able to take Man United over, not to go back to them and sound like Gary Neville, it's because Ferguson got into an argument over a racehorse. Like, that's, <laughs> like, that's with, why with we're McManus. here. That's why this... 
Yeah, with JP McManus and Magnier, Ferguson got into a massive row with them over at um, Racehorse. There was pressure putting Ferguson. They, the, the Irish owners, or majority shareholders, wanted started to want out. Malcolm Gazer was there, came in. And that's what bothers me. My United fans get criticised, saying they're only getting the green and gold flags out when scarves out when they lose. They've been protesting from day one of this. Like, this has been long haul. So Ferguson, in that sense, and he was also, he was a smokescreen for the Glazers because from 05 to 2013, eight years, they, they won, what, five league yeah. titles, Champions League, three Champions League finals. Ferguson papered over the cracks, but he also held them back in a sense of, held them back. We, we this is what I'm saying. It's such a court. weird argument to yeah. have, you know. We are, you know, we are uh, um, basically nearly like a medieval operation. Like all these other clubs like Arsenal have a director of football, Brighton have a director of football. The manager is not no longer a manager. He's a head yeah. coach. You move him in, you move him out. Like you obviously are looking for a better head coach like Graham Potter. Like so you have Chris Hewitt at Brighton, Graham Potter to um, Roberto Deserve. It's like remember years ago like Pokemon, <laughs> like the different levels of evolution. Like, all, I don't know yeah. who's after Deserve. <laughs> yeah. Well, my United don't have that. You just have, you're, you're, oh, let's go get Louis Van Hal. He was a good manager in the 90s. Oh, let's sack Van Hal. He missed out on the Champions League by goal difference. Let's get Mourinho in. He's a famous manager. Mourinho and Van Hal's football couldn't be any more different. They're like, and then, oh, get rid of him. You're bringing Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. God love him. Like he got, and then he we got rid of him. We're bringing Ralph Rangnick. He got sold a proper run. Yeah, like, and all these guys are collateral damage for ultimately these people who just don't know what they're doing, don't care about what they're doing, and it's just a cash cow. It's a dividend. Man United will give each Glazier family member twenty five million a year. They'll take it out. They put nothing of their own money in, and the way the Premier League is, the way European football is, the money Man United spends will keep them at a certain level, but success is. It won't happen. And you compare that to Brighton, who are doing more due diligence on a teenage, a child, an Irish footballer, than Man United did. And any of the players, or Liverpool, who are using, like, I think Liverpool are hiring guys who used to work for NASA to create algorithms to help them identify talent. Like, that's where we're at now. <laughs> right. And Man United are still like, who are we going to get in here? So Robbie, yeah. just to double down on your point about the Brighton comparison, apparently yeah. United had decided they were going to sign Moises Caicedo. And they didn't because they couldn't find a contact for his representative. Whereas Brighton went out, did the hard yards. If we wanted to book him for this show, we could find a representative. Like, that is a That's what I'm saying. Say no more. If if he's not in um, Ten Hag's agent's phone book, then he's not getting it. That's it. So with that in mind then, with that in mind, right? So last year, after five games, you were fifth. This year, 13th. Burnley next weekend, which is arguably the nicest game you could have got coming into it. That said, Vinny Company is manager. If you lose that, the optics are really poor. But how are you feeling going into that game? I feel like they, they should win. Like It's like just, just the talent gap. Like You know, you have talented players and they should be able to beat them. But ultimately, it's, it's just... It might change the narrative for a few days. I'm more thinking of Bayern away <laughs> and Harry Kane, who should be playing for Man United, really should is wrong. He probably should be playing for Tottenham. But if you don't spend eighty million on on Anthony, seventy odd million on Sancho, there's there's Harry Kane. Like, sure, like Hoyland was how much? Like Harry, seventy five million for Hoyland, who scored nine goals last season. Now, how do how do you explain that to someone? Like, imagine you just drop down. 
you haven't been following football for ages. How do you explain these things happen? It makes no sense. Like Man United, we all knew Kane was probably going to leave Tottenham this year, or at least it was the best chance to get him out. But no, nothing towards him. So Man United now are effectively content machine, really. That's what it is. They give us content, something to talk about. Funny to laugh at them. They get you annoyed, or you can laugh at them, wherever it might be. But as a serious football club, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe in five years' time, maybe some, I don't know, hopefully not Qatar, but someone might come in and put some shape on it. But I have I have lost all hope for them, really. United's transfers... Until we start winning again. <laughs> United's transfers remind me of football manager because, like, you know the way in football managers the star rating on players? But, like, that's a relative yeah. one to your squad and your your scout's ability to understand. It's kind of like they've scouted Hoyland. It's like, oh, he's five-star in comparison to yeah. Hannibal or, like, Zidane Isbal or whatever his name is. Instead of kind of going, oh, in the rest of the world, he's actually three-star in comparison to Harry yeah. Kane, who is actually five-star for your for everybody. It's just one of them, yeah. like, really short-sighted, like, like One last guess about United. This is one that will really make your head spin so since the 2011-12 season no Premier League team has had fewer players leave their club so you know you've had 174 player exits you'd call it this is via transfer mark so basically you just can't sell anyone so that's why the culture is wrong biggest adoption agency Manchester United literally like it's, it's like the civil service like the jobs for the boys <laughs> yeah, for yeah. Life, like so yeah pretty much like and you're well paid and yeah you might have a few bad days get a bit of abuse but like, we'll give you a bit of cash you'll, 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 get, you'll get a good lump sum as, and if you really want to leave we'll pay you off to go yeah, so they listen to Bruno give out to you all Before day. we move off yeah, United... Let's just get ourselves registered as players and just get signed for United. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we move off United, the last thing I want to get your boys' take on is taking Hoyland off. And obviously it was met with booze. Where do we land on that? What did it matter? I think it showed a sign of what is in Ten, Ten Hag's brain. Like it really showed a lack of fight for me. I don't know about you, Rob. I think I, I'm people are nice to him. Usually, I'm really critical of managers. He was playing well. I, I would have kept him on United chasing the game. Maybe he was being too like pedantic about oh, we can only play seventy minutes or sixty minutes, wherever it is. So it was interesting though, definitely the crowd reaction because they've always supported Ten Hag. They will support the manager that they love that at United. Um, but yeah, it was the crowd reaction was interesting because it's the first time they've really turned on him. It also shows how frustrated they are. They just have to take their anger out on something. And yeah, it's the first time I've really seen them go against one of his decisions. I think they'll do. They'll have to do it a few more times going forward. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. speaking of changes, um, obviously Arsenal made the change uh, between Robbie Redmond's favorite goalkeeper in the world <laughs> and their new signing. <laughs> Um, Ramsdale Ferreira Connor what what was your reaction before we let unleash Robbie on this well I've, I've, <laughs> I've a stat and a quote to lead this off with and then I'll kind of give you my go with the quote go with the quote so first we'll go. Uh, Mikel Arteta said I'm a really young manager and I've only been in the job for three and a half years and I have a few I have few regrets about what we've done one of them that is on two occasions I felt after 60 minutes and 85 minutes in two games in this period to change the keeper in that moment and I didn't do it. I didn't have the courage to do it. Now, I appreciate it as a manager saying 
here's the transparency of my thought process. But if you are Aaron Ramsdale, you know that's you. He's played you 76 of 77 Premier League games in a row. It can only be you. That has to destroy your any thought of, oh, I've I, this is I'm the number one. Ray is just in here to challenge me. That basically is going. Didn't trust you. I think it's Raya. I predicted Raya would be the number one by Christmas, um, except <laughs> that happened a lot quicker. Like I, I seen Raya in the flesh in Anf- at Anfield. I was at, yeah, I was my friends are Liverpool fans, and I went along, and I was um, watching them, and I had no connection on my phone or nothing, so I literally spent the whole like undistracted watching them play, and he was. It was a boring match, I'm not going to lie. Other than Salah being really good, I was struck by how good Raya was with his feet. Like, he's this for Brentford. He's a brilliant passer of the ball. He, not in the sense of, like, Onana, you know, you brought him in. He's good with his feet, and he hasn't been very good at saving either. Like, David Raya has both aspects. So, like, I did a piece on Ramsdale a couple of months ago because I, I feel like I'm, there's very few players who are overpraised. I think he is one, definitely, and I'm kind of glad to see Arteta come out and say that, even though he's kind of laying the gauntlet down to see, him, is, really. That, is that but what like, he's doing, Ramsdale. right? Because that's what I'm wondering. Because is, is it a case of, uh, are they going to play one off the other? So, like, say, Ramsdale was poor, they bought Raya in. If Raya plays this weekend and he's poor, Ramsdale's back in. Because if he doesn't, fans are going to be hopping on him if he if if he's kind of going, oh, no, 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 we're going to stick with Raya. But they're like, well, you got rid of Ramsdale. So is this... is Because if he plays this right, Ramsdale and Raya will be at the top of their form. And to be honest, they don't care who's in the net at that point. I think it's laying the gauntlet down to Ramsdale. I don't think he was good enough in the last, say, 10 matches of the season. Like, remember the, the match that really cost Arsenal the 3-3 draw? Ramsdale passed the ball directly to Southampton. Like, Southampton were relegated and Arsenal dropped two points against them. And there's loads of little games you go through like that. And then I remember digging into the stacks, so stats with him. So, like you say, percentage last season, Ramsdale was 71.8. So, let's say 72. Whereas David Raya was 76.2, which was the fourth best in the division behind like Bernd Leno, Nick Pope and Kepa Ariza Balaga, surprisingly. <laughs> so on the, on the stats, you're like, okay, Ramsdale beats him because he's better with his feet. Or not Ramsdale, sorry. I must correct Ryan, that. David yeah. Raya is the better goalkeeper. <laughs> stats, yes, 100%. Um, and then from the eye test, like I do think that as well, Raya is better. And then just his demeanour. I think Ramsdale... He's a bit, he has Pickford vibes to him, I think. I think he's a bit jumpy, a bit... Like, I don't know if you've seen a goal a couple of weeks ago. Like, I'm not a goalkeeping expert, but I was watching them. Um, Joe Pellini scored for Fulham. And Ramsdale, it was like the equaliser. Ramsdale put all his weight on his left side. And the only part of the goal that could have that um, Pellini could have scored in was the area Ramsdale vacated because he was just jumping around and trying to be busy. And I feel like... I wouldn't inspire a lot of confidence if he was my goalkeeper, and I, I do think he's made mistakes. And I think Arteta is, I think that's great being ruthless like that. Why should a goalkeeper have a veto on his position? Like he thinks this guy is better. He's treating him no different than a centre midfielder or a centre forward. And it looks to me like Raya has the jersey now, and Ramsdale will probably be the, the Champions League goalkeeper for the foreseeable. And ultimately, you have to say, if he thought Raya, if he thought Ramsdale was good enough, he's not going to... Like, no one... Jurgen Klopp's not going out and spending 40 million as a backup to Alisson because he knows Alisson's the best. Like, there's no one else that can come close to him. That's why he has 
um, Cuevin Kelleher. Whereas, and the other thing with Arsenal as well is that Arsenal's goalkeeper coach used to work at Raya for Brentford. So that makes sense. I think that, yeah. So I think the there's only the wind is only going one way here. Even though Ramsdale is a bit of a media darling, so just be careful. You see some of these quotes. Like I think his agent is working overtime to kind of change the narrative. I've already seen him being linked to Bayern Munich and Chelsea. I was going to so say the mail. The mail are reporting that, that Chelsea are quote unquote alert to the situation, but I think every club in the world is alert to the situation. Yeah. I think this is probably the biggest decision Arteta has made since Aubameyang. Like, this is the possibly the most divisive because you have one one of probably the league's best goalkeepers versus one of the world's most valuable goalkeepers. Um, not saying best, Rob, don't worry, calm down. Um, <laughs> but, like, the thing about Ramsdale is... He seems like a proper Jack the Lad and he could be very popular in that dressing room. And I think that's where Arteta has to be careful. And even for himself in the media, because like we've seen Ramsdale come out and be very blunt and honest in podcasts. Wasn't he on the Fozcast? And he was basically saying like, yeah, Sheffield or it was either Sheffield or Bournemouth didn't want didn't want me to go. So I just told him I'm leaving and you can either I won't I won't work or you let me go. So like Connor. Will this blow up? And if it does, can Arteta weather yet another big storm? Uh, well, I it's one of those, I'm not sitting on the fence when I say time will tell, but I think you make a good point with Aubameyang that he handled that situation about as well as he could have done when it came down to it in the end. And I, look, he is a clone of Pep in, in many, many ways, and Pep is good in conflict. Um, so I think if it is to blow up, it won't blow up in favour of Ramsdale. Arteta will come out shinier on that one. I really hope for Ramsdale that he can pull this off. I like him as a player. I like him as a guy. I think I kind of like the bit of shit house in him. He's, he's, he's a character, and as all goalkeepers are. But I think long term, my heart says Ramsdale, but from the stats that Rob's kind of said it on air and off air and the efficiency that he brings to it, I think it ain't going to be Ramsdale on that net in two years' time. I feel like in The Simpsons, remember Frank Grimes, where he's giving out the homework. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, he's an idiot. And everyone's like, yeah, but he, like, that's how I feel about Ramsdale because it's not that I dislike the guy. I think he's good. Like, he's grand. But he's if you look at the stats, which what else can we that's look at thing, here are statistics. You know? And he's middle of the road. Like, he's nothing special. Like, so XG goals prevented last season. I don't want to sound like a complete nerd, but it's like 0.4. Like, in other words, he's, he hasn't really, he hasn't added much. You know, he saved the shots you'd expect him to save. He's had a couple of errors. His save percentage is middle of the road, like, on level with, like, just below Vicente Guaita for Crystal Palace. Just a bit, actually the exact same as Lucas Fabianski for West Ham. Like, nothing special. And, and Arteta, for all this, is, ambi- like, he's nakedly ambitious. Like, this guy... Is wants to be he wants Arsenal to win. He didn't spend all that money on Declan Rice for nothing. He wants the best in every position, and he's looking at. And I think he's come to the conclusion that David Ray is is better. And I think I like that way of operating. It's it's rather than it's rootless in a sense, but it, it I think it will stand to him. And I do think ultimately it's a cruel game, but I think Ray is a better. I, I think as well it goes back to what we were saying about United. Like I don't know if you guys watched the All or Nothing with Arsenal, but like. The edus yeah. of that, of the Arsenal team, 
are the real string pullers. And yes, they give Arteta a lot of freedom, but there is a strong unit there that are very capable and serious yeah. operators. And I think that's what's really elevated Arsenal. Like, don't get me wrong, without Arteta, you bring in a not great manager, you can have the best directors of football that you want. It needs to be cohesive. But I think it just proves that point of you need very dedicated roles that people don't deviate from and do effectively to be competitive in any league but especially the Premier League and like speaking of being effective Arsenal have Tottenham at the weekend what are we saying boys? I can't really look beyond and right now like they're playing yeah. fantastic football like I, it's going to be a great game to watch because two teams that can play good ball going to be entertaining if nothing else but I don't know I think Robbie I'll get your get you to come in after this but I think the way that Ange has them playing could be the kryptonite to Arteta just that kind of like going at you positivity fucking let's keep going we'll break down Arteta's uh, a bit more thought out I don't want I, I kind of want to say but I don't want to say if you know what I mean um, kind of tactics and like it's I, I, it's one of them kind of ones it'll either be like a 4-4 thriller or it's going to be like a Richarlison shithouse <laughs> get it over the line <laughs> um, yeah I'm really looking forward to it because actually I don't get many predictions or any predictions right but one I did get right was that I, I thought Tottenham would be the team to watch this season just because it's going to be so enjoyable and the games will be great. And I didn't see the match on Saturday, but saw the highlights and you have like Richarlison scoring in 98th minute, Kulisevsky scoring in the 100th minute, technically. And it's it's just class. And Postacoglu, anyone who's watched Celtic teams won't be surprised by his kind of demeanour and his approach, but also the type of football he played. Like those, those goals as well weren't just like hit and hope goals. They were like well-worked goals. So that shows that they're, he's they really are taking on board his kind of coaching and he's kind of like as well he's like a lot like with Cargo, he's like he's the opposite of these kind of Mourinho or even Ten Hag or Klopp can be a little bit grouchy as well he's just kind of life affirming like you like listen to him he seems like a nice like you'd like to go for a point with him and he seems like he'd probably go with you too is he the has thing. kind of <laughs> yeah he, he kind of has this thing like a nice outlook on life and he was talking about his dad passing away and he's talking about mental health and then He's kind of it was his way of defending nearly Richarlison because he's had a tough time, and then Richarlison scores, and you're just like, like Tottenham might not win the Premier League, but if you're paying wherever it is a thousand euro a year, two thousand euro a year for a season ticket to go watch Tottenham, like you're, you're getting, getting your, your money's worth as close yeah. to your money's worth, yeah, like as you can, and that's all really you can kind of hope for. So I think he's a great fit, and he's he's a super coach as well, and I kind of not my second team, but I'd like to see Tottenham. Um, stick it to Arsenal. I think that would be enjoyable. I like to see them do well. I don't. Uh, I can't explain why, but Tottenham have always been a team that have been a cheese grater to me. I don't know why, but I'm a big Ange fan, and I think looking at his post-match comments the other day when he was asked kind of about um, the possibility of Tottenham winning the league and the fans thinking they can win the league, and he very much didn't come at it as some kind of clop way of of shooting it down being, and doing the usual PR line. He was like. How amazing is it that the fans can dream? He's like, they have that right. They pay their money. They come to watch football that we try to do the best they can. Let them dream. And, like, it sounds kind of wishy-washy, but that's the stuff that flies with fans. 
Yeah, he gets it. He definitely gets it. And after the last couple of coaches Spurs have had since Pochettino, he's probably as close to that level. He's on the same kind of emotional level. I'd like, I enjoy watching him play. Definitely, I think he brings something different to it. But like, it's also kind of refreshing to see like with Ange Tottenham have obviously like put their faith in him. But like, they allowed him to prepare for Kane's departure before Kane ever left so they were either going to be left with Kane plus a good team or a good team and they've just been left with a good team and like Connor, it just it harks back to the Bale days of Bale goes get any player that is willing to be there and then just hope that they work and you got Ericsson out of it but then you also had Salado and Lamella I, I, I think to be honest it and you guys might think different of this, but I think Kane going was the best thing that could have happened to Postacoglu because it allowed him a little bit of freedom yeah. to go, you know, this is my team now. There's no hierarchy here. He could select his own captain, which Son seems to have absolutely ran with the way he, he kind of treated Richarlison after his goal and his mental health kind of um, discussions in the press recently and pushing him towards the crowd to be like they're they're chanting your name mate like i i, I think it's definitely worked out for him i think you're completely correct in, in killing the gareth bale comparison of it was a major structural change to that team but i i, I think it it definitely kane leaving which sounds insane kane leaving was less of a issue seemingly than when bale left but i don't know what you're thinking kill I, there is one little thing that's come out since we started recording um, f- via Fabrizio Romano that could actually put a little little bit of spice onto that thought. Harry Kane's coming um, back. <laughs> Spurs chairman Daniel Levy, we have a buyback clause for Harry Kane. I'd like to thank Harry for everything he's done with us. It goes without saying he's always welcome back and he's a much-loved value member of the Spurs family and forever in our history. I did not hear that they had a buyback that clause man doesn't let anything on Harry go Kane, Robbie. That man doesn't let anything go out the door without the chance to get it back. He probably doesn't even let his kids go to school without a buyback clause. <laughs> yeah. I see Brian were like, all right, if you want, mate. <laughs> like, you're not really going to sign him back. Like, are you? And like, it also, Kane has to agree to go back, which he, unless his brother is that shit of an agent, he won't. <laughs> I could see him go I'd back in two years. I'd say he's sick missing it. I'd say he's sick seeing these scenes yeah. like, he, like, and that's where anyone like Tottenham with Pochettino as well, and now the Postecoglou. Like Pochettino's team were really close to being champions in sixteen and seventeen, and all you're missing was a little bit more from Levy, and Pochettino never got it, and that's where Postecoglou could hit that that ceiling again as well, because in from what we've seen the evidence so far is that he is getting players to perform above themselves the way Pochettino did and imagine they had Harry Kane as well people probably would be talking about them as outsiders no one's probably going to beat Man City but um people are talking yeah, about them as outsiders but Ivan Perisic so like they'll talk about them as outsiders regardless but that's what a good coach does that's what the Zerbi does it doesn't it near the players are nearly not irrelevant but the the their individual talents are only going to go so far. It's the collective. And that's what Connor's right. I think Kane leaving is actually a blessing for Postacoglu because it took so much expectation away. And also, Son is probably more of a high-pressing player that would suit Postacoglu's style. Not that Kane's style wouldn't because Kane's more classy too. Madison's anything, been a major game-changer for that team as well. 100%. Like I didn't think that was going to work out as well as it was. I fully thought he was 
on a his Range Rover would be heading up north to to join my beloved <laughs> Newcastle, and God, I would have been delighted if he did. But I really did know that was going to pan out. But he seems to just bull by the horns. Not that he's a new player; he was always good. But like he just seems fully bought in, and he suits that team to the ground. Well, from one beloved coach to another, Robbie, <laughs> fantasy football. Um, who uh, should we be looking at this weekend? Because I am seriously struggling. I had a bad week myself. Um, well, I think everyone had a bad week. The average was around 40 points. Mm. For this week, the one I brought in last week, which I was happy with, is Julian Alvarez. So, okay. Man City striker. He's played every minute bar one so far this season and he has two goals and five assists now I'm always worried about Man City players because they call it like the pep roulette you just don't know who's going to start other than Haaland or De Bruyne but even then these guys could be rested but Alvarez is playing so well and De Bruyne is injured that he will and Grealish is injured too so he more than likely will play and Man City have Forrest at home and anyone Follows fantasy knows that's a game for Hal and Captain, but it's also you, that could be a five nil. And Alvarez seems to be centrally involved, so he'd be probably top of my list. He's only six point eight, which is cheap. The next one would be like um, Gusto Malo Gusto for Chelsea. He's a randomer, but he's only four point two million. That could be a cheeky little cheap kind of for, last minute decision. Yeah. He sounds like a regen yeah, in football. <laughs> yeah, he has regen vibes to him. And like Chelsea have no sponsor on their jersey. It's very pro Evo vibes <laughs> to it. But they play, yeah, Villa at home, then Fulham away and Burnley away. So like you've three nice fixtures there, cheap. And if you have a couple of transfers, and you don't want to just sell really, because they'll look good. <laughs> I was hoping they wouldn't be, but they look good. And they've West Ham at home, so they'll have a lot of the ball. He's on penalties too. So if you want to kind of switch it up and move away from Haaland, I think Salah would be a good one. So between now, which is game week six up until game week seven, sorry, 17 when he played Man United, they have West Ham, Spurs, Brighton, Everton, Forest, Luton, Brentford, Fulham, Sheffield United, Palace. Like their fixtures are absolutely unbelievable other than like Man City here or there, Man City, Man United. But... So, great fixtures. He's in great form. He three assists last week. I would be, if you can afford him, because he's the second most expensive player in the game, I'd be going for Salah. Should I get rid of Son for Salah? Ooh, That's a big one, actually. Mm. That is big, because I, like, <clears throat> sometimes people look at like Northland Derby and go, oh, I'm going to sell Son there, or I'm going to sell one of my players, but there might be more goals mm. in those games. You know what I I, I don't know if I would actually I don't know because Spurs have Arsenal then Liverpool I don't want to sit on the fence but Salah is just in super form so I don't know maybe maybe that's in, a in terms of selling maybe look to sell, move in on terms to of selling who's, who are the obvious ones to get rid of Nicholas Jackson for Chelsea like <laughs> God almighty like, everyone jumped on him because he was cheap and he four fellas getting loads of chances and it's just not going in from. He's very. Uh, he's doing like. He's, it reminds me of like Torres and like when he just signed for Chelsea. Like he's just not scoring and he's not. And Chelsea aren't playing particularly great. So Jackson, I'd move him on. I sold Ollie Watkins because, like, 
Villar scoring plenty of goals, but he's not getting any of them, and he's eight million. That's heavy, yeah. If someone's not doing well, mm. just move him on. Like it's grand. There's loads of players in the game, and the other one was Martinelli. He came off with a knock for Arsenal, and he's expensive too. I think he's like eight point five. I just would probably just move him on. And there's so many good midfielders on the game this year that I'd be focusing my money on midfield. Like you've in Bueno, Salah, Bowen, Saka, Madison, Son, Diaby off Villa, like Ward Prowse, like there's loads of them. So don't stick, I wouldn't stick on players for too long if they're not doing great or if their fixtures are poor. And like you've said before, you uh, can't you can't take your love for the player into account. You need to be you need to be ruthless in terms of the stats. Absolutely. That's why I'm dying to sell Bruno and Rashford, <laughs> but they Bournley. And I'm like, I can't sell them before Bournley and Palace. But yeah, you just need to take the take the emotion out of it completely. Now, gentlemen, we are coming to the end of the podcast. So one very last quick fire question to you is what match are you gonna watch this weekend and why? Ooh. Um I think the North London Derby for me is an obvious one. Um I'm also very curious actually. I'll, t- I'll do it in a three tier this is the the longest quick fire question answer the world's ever seen number one North London Derby number two uh, Liverpool West Ham I'd be very interested in to see that and third would be Chelsea just to see if they can finally get a win what are you saying Robbie? Yeah, I'm going to go f- I'm definitely North London Derby but I'm also going to be I know I'm going to be pathetic Ireland are going to play so Africa and the rugby <laughs> and I'll have that on my iPad while I'm watching Burnley be my night at Torfmore and Corson, Bruno Fernandes and the Glaciers and everyone. So that would be me. Why about yourself, Killian? I, I think the one that I'm kind of most excited to see is Chelsea and Aston Villa because I think Chelsea, for all of their faults, aren't actually playing bad football and they're going to come up against a good footballing team. So if they can get a result here, they, it, this could be the turning point for them. Do I have any faith yeah. in them tur- getting the turning point? Absolutely not. There'd be no money put on it. Um, but I just think that it could be potentially, if it goes one way, it could it could be very pivotal for the rest of the season. So I, I'm kind of looking forward to that. And obviously, my time is going to be on the uh, the rugby on Saturday. Yeah, so I think very... I think we're all going to be flying the green flag this weekend. And uh, I feel bad, Kill. We keep talking about the games that we're spotlighting, and we never get to talk about Sunderland. But we will get to it at some point. I do promise. Wait. What division are Sunland in again? I'm already joking. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm already no, but for I'm real, what, what division are they in? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> you will all come crawling back to us when we're back on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep on laughing now. Gentlemen, we've made it to the end of uh, episode two. Well done. And uh, I want to thank you for joining me this evening. Uh, thank you very much. Not upon a Connor Glennon. Thanks a million, boys. Great chat as always. Thank you very much, journalist and author and man that gives us credibility, Robbie Redmond. Thanks, lads. And thanks to you for listening. Give us a a like or a rate or whatever it is on the platform that you're listening to us on. And uh, we'd appreciate if you could leave us a wee review. And we'll catch you next week. I'm not into podcasts. of the net.